Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, and welcome to the other half. Episode 2.6, Vicky, Iron, Blood, and Unification. Last time, we looked at the three most important moments of Vicky's first few years of marriage. The traumatic birth of her first son, Wilhelm, the accession of King Wilhelm I, and her subsequent elevation to the rank of Crown Princess of Prussia, and the sad death of her father in January 1862. Albert's death meant that Vicky had to press on without her guide and mentor. We will see today how she coped without him in the many crises of the 1860s. As ever, I'd like to direct you to the show's Patreon page if you'd like to support it, which is at patreon.com forward slash the other half podcast. To all my new listeners, welcome. To the rest of you, welcome back. While Vicky was recovering from the shock of Albert's death and the birth of her third child, Henry, Prussia was being plunged into political chaos. The accession of the profoundly conservative King Wilhelm had come at a time when the Parliament had a liberal majority. The Prussian Parliament at the time was divided into four parties, two conservative and two liberal. Furthest to the right were the, and apologies to German speakers for this, the Kruzigtung Party. They were people who thought that Prussia was far too liberal already and wanted to return it to its pre-Napoleonic state. Let's call them the reactionaries. More moderate than them, then you have the Wachtenblatt party, who broadly shared a platform with King Wilhelm. They recognised the need for the reforms that had taken place in the last few years, but saw no need for further major changes. We'll call them the Conservatives. On the other side, we have the Liberals, who have been energised by Vicky's arrival in Prussia and the death of the reactionary king. 
And then finally, further to the left, we have the progressives, who broke away from the liberals as they were frustrated at their lack of zeal towards their goal of creating a liberal constitutional government and a united Germany. It's worth remembering, though, that the Prussian parliament was not a particularly powerful body, and the electoral system favoured the rich and wealthy in any case. The king was not all-powerful, but he was most definitely the most powerful arm of the government. That said, Parliament could still throw its weight around when it wanted to, especially right about now, when it was dominated by progressives. This, naturally, led to a political standoff. If you remember from last time, Wilhelm had instigated a reform of the army, which was opposed by the liberals and progressives. Unwilling to listen to Parliament, Wilhelm dissolved it, and replaced his liberal ministers with conservatives. This move alarmed Vicky, who wrote to her husband that if the king thought that this would solve the crisis, then, quote, all bright hopes are finished during his reign, for if he once gets into the hands of those people, he will never get away while he is alive. You owe it to your future, to the country, and to your children, to keep aloof from everything which might lead the people to have an erroneous idea of your political convictions, or that might shape the confidence which you have won by your liberal attitude. Fritz took this advice to heart and confronted his father, but was once again rudely brushed aside. Fritz wasn't a man that enjoyed conflict. He kind of just wanted everyone to get along. But he was torn here, between loyalty to the wife that he adored and whose politics he shared, and to the father that, as king, he was duty-bound to serve and obey. His parents had never really been that involved with Fritz, and so it's unsurprising that he clung on to the affectionate Vicky. The adversity that they had faced so far in their marriage had only made them stronger, and, in the eyes of their enemies, more threatening. But Vicky was more radical than even Fritz. While he was a capital L liberal, she was a progressive. She was following Albert's plan, to liberalise pressure on British lines, and then use that moral legitimacy to unite Germany under Prussian leadership. Fritz, on the other hand, saw German unification as the primary goal, but he saw no need for wholesale constitutional changes, as his wife did. A meek and cautious man, he wanted to accomplish his goals with the least amount of controversy and violence, and this rather infuriated his wife, who demanded action. Wilhelm's move of dissolving Parliament, as Vicky had predicted, had only made things worse. Indeed, things got so bad that Wilhelm drafted a letter of abdication. Fritz tried to act as a mediator between his father and the liberal ministry. The stakes were high. There was talk of liberal revolution in the streets, as in 1848, or even a reactionary coup led by Prince Fritz Karl. Vicky wrote to her mother that they were, quote, in a dreadful position, the country loudly clamouring for Fritz to come forward, and he receiving the most peremptory commands from the king, and no thanks for the tact and self-denial Fritz has been showing, only reproaches for having opposed the king. Dear Mama, pity us, and think of your much-tormented and affectionate and dutiful daughter. We are surrounded with spies who watch all we do. Little progress was being made in this political crisis, until the Prussian ambassador to Russia returned home, promising a different way of dealing with the situation. He met with the king, and told him, quote, I have done my utmost and can see no way out. I cannot reign against my convictions. My ministers are against me. My son has ranged himself on their side. 
The ambassador said that he had a plan that would not only resolve the crisis, it would allow him to win it without the need for compromise. He would lead a conservative government and didn't care that he would not have a majority in parliament and therefore wouldn't have a budget to spend. The king knew that his wife, his son and daughter-in-law would oppose this course of action and was therefore wavering. The ambassador told him that this whole crisis boiled down to a battle between rule by the king or rule by parliament. He promised, quote, I will rather perish with the king than forsake your majesty in the contest with parliamentary government. And so, this is how Vicky's great adversary, Count Otto Edward Leopold von Bismarck, came to power. Appointed as Prime Minister in September 1862, he would stay at the top almost uninterrupted for the next three decades. Bismarck was born into a noble family of country gentry in 1815. His family on his father's side had standard aristocratic roots, but his mother was actually from a middle-class professional background and was not much interested in being the silent Prussian wife. Bismarck had a bit of a chip on his shoulder about this, and one can easily draw a connecting line between these mummy issues and his future relationship with Vicky. His conservatism came from a combination of his social class, upbringing, and said chip on his shoulder. He first entered the court radar in 1847, and quickly made a name for himself attacking various liberal projects, and attracting the admiration of King Friedrich Wilhelm. During the 1848 revolution, he supported replacing the king with Fritz in an attempt to resolve the crisis, and went as far as to talk to Augusta about it. The then crown princess angrily refused this treasonous act, forever souring their relationship. After the revolution, he was one of the founders of the Kreisaktung, the reactionary conservative party. Under their ticket, he entered the Prussian parliament and then took on a number of roles, including Prussian minister to the German parliament. He was ardently pro-Russian and anti-British, and had been key in persuading the king not to enter the Crimean War. Wilhelm had initially dismissed him when he became Prince Regent, sending off to be ambassador to his beloved Russia, a fate that Bismarck did not like and for which he blamed Augusta and Vicky. But now he was back, and raring to go. In his maiden speech to Parliament as Prime Minister, he laid down his political doctrine in no uncertain terms. He said that, quote, Public opinion changes. The press is not the same as public opinion. Members of Parliament have a higher duty to lead opinion, to stand above it. We are too hot-blooded. We have a preference for putting on armour that is too big for our small body. Germany is not looking to Prussia's liberalism, but to its power. Prussia has to coalesce and concentrate its power for the opportune moment. Prussia's borders are not favourable for a healthy, vital state. It is not by speeches and majority resolutions that the great questions of the time are decided, but by iron and blood. He is calling here for a Germany to be united as a smaller state, not the great expansive Germany dreamed of by the Liberals, and that Prussia should unite it not through moral leadership and lofty liberal speeches, but through military force. Bismarck immediately set about putting his plan into action. After his first attempt at compromise failed, he announced that he was willing for his government to rule without a budget. He declared a state of emergency and dissolved Parliament. He was playing for keeps here. Parliament would be frequently called and dissolved in the next few years, with Bismarck pushing through oppressive laws, suppressing press freedom. The king seemed to be completely under his sway. 
Vicky wrote that, quote, Our affairs here are in a lamentable state. Indecision, confusion, and mistakes of all kinds. The reactionary party gets stronger every day, and have the king now completely on their side and in their power. Referring to Bismarck, she continued, quote, This country seems to me like a ship tossing about, with a reckless, inexperienced, and short-sighted man at the helm, and storms gathering around. At this time, liberals looked to Fritz, their great champion at court, to support them, but he was hardly vocal in his disapproval. Indeed, shortly after Bismarck came to power, he and Vicky went on a Mediterranean cruise with members of the British royal family. Hardly a great look when you're accused of not being German enough. Vicky was growing ever more frustrated with her husband, urging him to take a stronger stance. She gathered allies, and together they implored him to speak out. Eventually, he relented, and gave a speech at Danzig, a liberal stronghold, where he made it clear that these decrees had not come from him, and did not meet with his approval. The reaction in Berlin was furious. His father accused him of straying close to treason, and threatened to take his commission in the army, a great threat in Prussian circles. Prince Charles wanted him placed under house arrest, but Bismarck persuaded the king to reprimand him, but not turn him into a liberal martyr. Savvy move. What Vicky had hoped would be a decisive turn in Fritz's political career at Danzig had completely backfired. She wrote to her mother that, quote, A year of silence and self-denial has brought no other fruits than that of being considered weak and helpless. The liberals think he is not sincerely one of them, and those few who think it fancy he has not the courage to avow it. He has now given them an opportunity of judging his way of thinking, and consequently will now again be passive and silent until better days come. She was right. Fritz's brief foray into proper liberal politics had failed. When confronted with a choice of being a loyal Hollenzollen or a liberal activist, he had chosen family, much to the chagrin of Vicky. She engaged in a little wifely rebellion here, arranging for some of Fritz's letters to be published in the foreign press in an attempt to paint him as a true liberal. But Prussia's restrictive press laws meant that few in the kingdom saw them, and even fewer believed them. In the end, all it really did was convince Bismarck further that Vicky was the true danger to his policies at court, and further set him against her. Therefore, he wrote to the king, suggesting that, while he remained married to Vicky, Fritz should be regarded as untrustworthy and unprussian due to her relationship with Queen Victoria. Quote, it is hard that a frontier line should also be the line of demarcation between the interests of a mother and daughter, but to forget the fact is perilous to the state. Agreeing with his Prime Minister, Wilhelm stopped sharing government dispatches with his son. Fritz was officially now out of the circle of trust, and would struggle to fight his way back in. Bismarck wasted no time exploiting his position. At a conference of the German states, he induced the king to seize control of the German confederation decisively from Austria, rather than trying to work with them as Vicky and the liberals wanted. He also turned the king against the idea of ruling within the relatively mild Prussian constitution, setting him instead on the course towards a form of absolutist rule on the Russian model. Fritz, egged on by Vicky, urged his father to change tack, telling him that this road could only lead to revolution and ruin. But of course this only further convinced the king that Fritz had been turned by his wife and friends into a liberal stooge. 
Bismarck's smear campaign was paying dividends. And things would only get worse for Vicky, as her divided loyalties would again come under strain. If you recall, she had been instrumental in the marriage of her brother Bertie to Alexandra of Denmark. This had been controversial, as Prussia was in dispute with the Danes over the twin duchies of Schleswig and Holstein, an issue that British Prime Minister Palmerston once quipped was so complicated that only three people had ever understood it. Prince Albert, who was dead, a German professor, who had since gone mad, and himself, who had since forgotten all about it. Don't worry, I won't try and make you guys into the fourth. On the accession of a new Danish king, the father of the new Princess of Wales, the duchies demanded their own government. Bismarck saw this as an opportunity to annex the duchies into Germany, and so set Prussia on a course for war. One that would be the first of the three wars of German unification. While all this was going on, Vicky went home with Fritz to see the family at Windsor. But this was no happy reunion. Vicky and Fritz supported the annexation, as the Duke of Schleswig-Holstein was an old friend, while the family united around Princess Alexandra and the Danes. Tembers flared so badly that Victoria was forced to ban political discussions altogether, fearful that Fritz and Bertie might come to blows. The war, when it came in the spring of 1864, was fairly brief. Bismarck had united the German Confederation, including Austria, against Denmark. Britain, while sympathetic to the Danish cause, did not enter the war. Fritz was put in de facto command of the Prussian forces, delighting him and his wife, who wrote that his command, quote, makes me proud and happy. Not content with sitting at headquarters, he jumped into the thick of the action, planning and then leading his troops at the Battle of Dupel, the engagement that decided the war. Vicky was aching with pride at her husband's glories on the field of battle, but it came at the cost of her relationships back home in the UK. Her mother sent a spate of furious letters, many of which blamed her personally for allowing this war to take place. In one, she wrote, quote, This dreadful war might have been prevented by you all, God forgive you for it, and would have it. Vicky wrote back furiously that her mother was being hypocritical, as the British would react the same way if, during wartime, they were, quote, dictated to in a pompous style. Indeed, I am sure they would not stand such interference. She had never acted more like a Prussian and less British. She organised fundraisers for the families of the dead and injured and spearheaded the development of a Prussian nursing corps. And yet, she was still accused of secretly wanting the Danes to win. Fake news that was aided and abetted by Bismarck. Then again, she didn't much help her position by sending her son Wilhelm to England. He had not been well recently, not helped one imagines by all the attempts to correct his deformed arm. And Vicky hoped that, quote, Every sensible person must see how natural and harmless a thing it is to send a little child to the place that it is thought best for his health. Her concern for her son was admirable, but her timing could not have been worse. Victory over Denmark emboldened Bismarck. He further exploited the situation domestically by clamping down on the opposition. Liberal meetings and events were broken up by police, and the judiciary was reformed so that judges were paid not by experience, but by loyalty. Mayors he didn't like were replaced by appointed commissars, and government contracts were only awarded to politically approved firms. Having consolidated his power at home, 
he set in motion the next step in his plan for unification. Take out Austria. First, he needed to get Fritz and Vicky out of the way. Weakened though their position was, there was still the potential for them to form a liberal vanguard. Therefore, he arranged for them to be sent to Poland, where they got fully entangled in the messy local politics there. While they were out of the way, he induced Austria to sign the humiliating Gastein Convention. He persuaded the Habsburgs to let him take Schleswig and the Austrians would get Holstein. This destroyed Austria's reputation within the German Confederation, as they were painted as grubby opportunists. This all meant that war between the two great German powers was all but inevitable, which, of course, was what Bismarck wanted. The Gastein Convention had isolated Austria from the rest of the Confederation, and now Bismarck's allied with the Italians, who were preparing for their final push to get Austria out of their peninsula. The idea of Prussia allying with a foreign power against a fellow German power was diametrically opposed to Prince Albert's grand plan. He wanted Prussia to unify Germany through moral leadership and common cause. Bismarck was going about it the other way, as he had promised, through iron and blood. While Vicky's special mission was collapsing all around her, her personal life was not going all that well either. Two years earlier, she had given birth to her fourth child, a son named Sigismund, and on the eve of war, he gave birth to her fifth, a daughter named Victoria, but whom was nicknamed Moretta because, well, there are just far too many Victorias lying around. Just after Moretta's birth, Fritz left for the front against Austria, but just one day later, Sigismund fell ill. Fritz had brought all their doctors with him, and so Vicky had to rely on an inexperienced physician to treat her son. The man failed to recognise the symptoms of a particularly nasty case of meningitis, and so the boy died in quite some pain. Vicky was utterly devastated at the loss of the boy that she called her, quote, little sunbeam in the house. In a letter to her mother, she told of, quote, the long cry of agony which rises from the innermost depth of my soul. Surrounded by the toys that she had bought and the baby clothes that she had made for him, her anguish for once earned her the sympathy of her in-laws. Queen Augusta offered to leave for the front personally to inform Fritz, and King Wilhelm granted him leave to attend the funeral. But Fritz refused, saying that his troops had to come first. While Vicky mourned her son, Fritz's troops were winning the war. After beating an Austrian army at Burkersdorf, he marched his army to the aid of General von Moltke at Kongratz, turning the tide of the battle. Once that engagement was won, and indeed the war, as Austria sued for peace soon after, he received the Order of Merit from his father, an honour awarded for conspicuous personal gallantry. This was the high point of his military career so far, and a nice family moment for him, but he couldn't take too much pleasure in it all. While he had always thought that war would be required to unite Germany, like his wife, he didn't like that it cost so many German lives in what he considered to be effectively a civil war. He wrote in his diary, quote, War is an appalling thing, and the man who brings it about with a stroke of his pen little reeks what he is conjuring with. This spectacular victory for Prussia over Austria in the second of the wars of German unification greatly alarmed many in Europe. Stories emerged, some true, others made up or exaggerated, of Prussian atrocities. Yet Vicky leapt the fence of her new homeland. When her mother wrote to her about these reports, 
He wrote back, quote, The Prussian army is a body of well-trained, well-educated and thoroughly disciplined men. The Austrians are the very reverse. All sorts of different half-barbarous nationalities jumbled together. That many of our men and some of our officers may have forgotten themselves, I do not doubt. They cannot all be angels and one cannot be answerable for all. But this is a fact that our army is superior in behaviour, kindness and humanity to any other. She really sounds like she's gone thoroughly native, right? Now this probably has a lot to do with the fact that a good number of these troops were under Fritz's command, and thus accusations of atrocities could be brought back to him. But still, in a letter to her mother, she talks of our troops, our army. This is not the English princess that Bismarck and his friends sought to portray her as. Bismarck's wars were driving a wedge between Vicky and the rest of her family, especially her brother Bertie, who had not forgiven Fritz for his part in the Schleswig-Holstein War that had been fought against his wife's father. Moreover, Vicky was not in a good frame of mind. She had never really gotten over the death of her son Sigismund, and her moroseness was commented on by her sister Alice after they had met in Paris to visit the International Expo there in 1867. The trip coincided with the anniversary of Sigismund's death, and the fact that she was pregnant again seems to have exacerbated her depression. She left Paris a whole week early, a flagrant disregarding of protocol, as the whole thing had been choreographed by the French to a T. Alice wrote to her mother, quote, Dear Vicky was so low these days, and dislikes going to parties so much now, she was longing to get home. Victoria couldn't go and comfort Vicky, but she did write a rather beautiful and motherly letter, telling her not to dwell, quote, So much on all that you cannot get back surrounded as you are too by so many blooming children, and by your dear good husband. Your darling, God took to himself, and he is safe and happy. You will see him again there, where there is no sorrow or pain or parting. And if you would but dwell on that, as I do, you would not have that sad and agonising repining. I say all this in love and affection, and in perfect sympathy with your loss." Another reason behind her depression was the direction in which Prussia was travelling. She was still not on board with what Bismarck was doing, nor was she even on the same wavelength as her husband. Following the defeat of Austria, Bismarck formed a new state called the North German Confederation that was basically Prussia, Saxony and a motley collection of other German states in the Prussian orbit. He drafted the constitution of this new entity himself, and it was deeply conservative. He placed the king at the apex of everything, and made the position of chancellor, his own of course, responsible only to him and not to parliament. Most importantly though, he placed all things military, including its budget, completely under the king's purview, with no parliamentary oversight. Fritz approved of these changes, seeing it as a necessary step towards German unification, but Vicky opposed them pretty much for that very reason she still laboured under her father's notion of a Germany united through dialogue and leadership, but the Liberals had been completely outmanoeuvred by Bismarck. He had brought stability to the kingdom and military glory. He seemed unstoppable, and was still determined to sideline Vicky. Bismarck had been thoroughly impressed by Fritz's conduct during the two recent wars. He had been brave in battle, an astute commander, and had the full respect and love of his troops. And, of course, 
he would be king one day. Bismarck wanted Fritz to become a disciple of his methods, but he knew that Vicky would forever be a handbrake on these plans. Fritz would always remain loyal to his wife, even when they disagreed politically, and this led to them being further ostracised at court. Their household was full of Bismarckian spies, who told him every detail of their movements and accounts. What is more, they knew it. It was an intensely hostile environment for them, despite Vicky's defence of pressure to her family and Fritz's heroics in war. They were still seen as being suspicious and untrustworthy. And it wasn't just Bismarck that was making her life miserable. Shortly after the birth of her sixth child, a son whom they named Voldemar, they petitioned the king to let her go home and spend Christmas with her family back in Britain. She had not seen her mother for three years, but no sooner had she set foot on English soil that she found out that Queen Augusta was trying to force her to return. Vicky was furious, pointing out, quite correctly, that her mother-in-law didn't want her back for any real reason. It was simply out of spite. She asked her own mother to intervene on her behalf, a rather risky move, and while to an extent it paid off, as she was allowed to stay, it prompted a very shirty letter from King Wilhelm, who complained of Vicky's long absence from court, her lack of interest in Prussian social occasions, and, quite bizarrely, the fact that she insisted on being driven in carriages pulled by fewer than four horses. It did not help that even some of her friends were spreading nasty rumours. Two former members of her household started to spread stories that Vicky went on frequent anti-Prussian rants behind closed doors. Bismarck, never one to let the truth get in the way of helpful propaganda, further added fuel to the fire, making the rather ridiculous claim that Vicky refused to ride with anyone but old Prussian men and generals so that she could tire them out and cause them to fall and injure themselves. Fritz and Vicky had disagreed about the formation of the new confederation, but one thing that they both dreaded was another war, but that was exactly what was coming. Bismarck was so close to achieving his goal, but he knew that further moves towards German unification would be challenged. He had cultivated a close relationship with Russia and had punched Austria so hard in the nose that it was no longer a threat. Britain wasn't a particular military threat as its strength lay in its navy. Therefore, the only nation that could stop him was Emperor Napoleon III's France. There weren't many that thought this was a good idea. The French army was still feared. It had, after all, nearly destroyed Prussia during the Napoleonic Wars, and only the combined armies of Europe had taken it down. The king and many of his generals thought that Prussia was not ready for a third war, and much of the royal family were with Vicky and Fritz in opposing it. Yet, Bismarck played them all like a fiddle pretending to seek a peaceful reconciliation, all the while engaging in masterful diplomatic games that isolated France from its allies and making a winnable war all but inevitable. Only Vicky seemed to see through Bismarck's game, but she was distracted by the birth of Sophie, her seventh child and third daughter. All hope is at an end, she wrote to her mother. We have the horrible prospect of the most terrible war Europe has yet known before us. We have been shamefully forced into this war. Using Vicky's nationality against her yet again, Bismarck used the claim that Britain had goaded France into declaring war, a ridiculous notion since she had declared neutrality, to make Vicky a figure of suspicion. No one would listen to her arguments that Bismarck was the puppet master behind this conflict, that they were all being duped. Now it was too late. 
the Franco-Prussian War, the greatest clash of arms in Europe since Waterloo, had come. Vicky had expected this to be a long and terrible war, one that would threaten the whole German project and lead to certain defeat for Prussia. In this, she was almost completely wrong. For starters, most of the German states that many thought would declare for France actually took the German side, largely thanks to Bismarckian manoeuvres and French incompetence. Then, when the fighting actually started, it was all basically settled in just a month. There is a reason why many thought the First World War would be over by Christmas. They were mostly thinking of this conflict. Once again, Fritz was in the thick of the action. Commanding his Third Army, he won major victories at Weissenberg and Vorth before joining the main Prussian force which destroyed the French army at Sedan, capturing Emperor Napoleon, effectively winning the war right there and then. France would go on fighting, all the while undergoing a pretty violent political upheaval that would end with the establishment of the Third Republic, but its defeat was only a matter of time, and everyone knew it. Fritz was arguably the biggest hero of the war, but his selflessness let him down yet again. Vicky unwittingly expressed this in a joyful letter to her mother. Quote, I am thankful that dear Fritz was the victor. I know how harrowing and dreadful war is to him. On the other hand, I know that he is considered our best leader, and more thought of than Fritz Karl or Steinmetz. So great is the confidence on the part of the king in Fritz's genius. He is always quiet and self-possessed and determined. Having no personal ambition, he only thinks of what is best, not of what makes most effect. This self-effacement, coupled with Bismarck's determination that his own ally Fritz Karl should take all of the glory, meant that Fritz and, by extension, Vicky, did not benefit much politically from his exploits in the war. He also opposed Bismarck's desire to really rub it into the French. After the victory at Sedan, the army set siege to Paris. Bismarck wanted to bombard it into submission, but Fritz insisted on minimising civilian casualties by simply trying to starve them out. This is quite interesting, actually, as it put pay to Bismarck's long-held view that Vicky was the reason behind Fritz's intransigence, and if he could only get him away from her, then he could mould the crown prince in his own image. Vicky was a huge influence on Fritz, and a great liberalising force, but he was his own man too. When eventually he was forced to fire on the city, he delayed, waiting until he had sufficient ammunition to be able to launch a continuous bombardment that would force a quick surrender. The main victim of this was, of course, Vicky, who was cast as the puppet master behind Fritz's obstinance. In a dinner at Berlin, Bismarck told his guests that, quote, The assertion of the generals that they have not enough ammunition is untrue. They do not want to begin because the heir apparent does not wish it. He does not wish it because his wife and mother-in-law are against it. Had we begun the bombardment forward weeks ago, we should now all in probability be in Paris. And that is the main point. As it is, however, the Parisians imagine that we are being forbidden to fire by London, St. Petersburg and Vienna, while on the other hand, the neutral powers believe that we are not able to do so. The true reason, however, will be known at a future time. As usual, rather than wallowing in all this undeserved criticism, Vicky threw herself into doing some good, largely surrounding helping the wounded through raising money for hospitals and engaging soldiers' wives in the war effort. And, of course, she was criticised even for this. Quote, All her endeavours and offers for help in the matter of tending the sick were contemptuously rejected, 
Fritz wrote angrily in his diary. Though eventually her efforts were more appreciated, at least in military circles. She plagued her friends and family for supplies, especially for quality linen, which could be made into bandages and bedding. In a later entry, Fritz noted approvingly, quote, It gives me infinite pleasure to hear in all quarters repeated expression of the high respect my wife's quiet but strong and efficient activity evokes. In Homburg, she has created the perfect model hospital. I communicated to His Majesty much of what I had learned, but without hearing one word of commendation in reply. Queen Augusta seems to have grown rather jealous of this limelight, and constantly sought to undermine Vicky in these endeavours, making great demands on her time that prevented her from doing her hospital work. Vicky wrote, quote, It is a superhuman strain on one's temper. Yet this was but a sideshow to the main event that was about to occur. The dream of uniting Germany was at hand, but it would not be easy to get over the line. The four major German states that were outside the North German Confederation came to Bismarck to discuss what happened next. After a great deal of wrangling, Bismarck persuaded them to sign up to the new Germany, but his chief opponent, perhaps surprisingly, was the king. Like his father, he was not keen on accepting a pan-German title. He was a Prussian, and did not like the idea of any entity taking precedence over Prussia. Even the offer of becoming emperor or kaiser didn't interest him for that very reason. Bismarck was getting nowhere, and so sought the help of the most ardent pro-German at court to help. Fritz joined the campaign of persuasion, forcing Wilhelm finally to grudgingly relent. On the 18th of January, 1871, in the Hall of Mirrors at the Palace of Versailles, King Wilhelm of Prussia was proclaimed Kaiser Wilhelm I of the new German Empire. The unification of Germany, for so long the dream of liberals, had been achieved by the arch-conservative Bismarck. This is reflected in the letter that Fritz wrote back to his wife. Quote, I have no doubt that your father would have rejoiced over recent changes. However, he would not have approved of the methods whereby unification was achieved any more than you or I. Vicky didn't share even Fritz's qualified enthusiasm. She had seen how Prussia drifted even further towards the reactionary camp than it had been in when she had first arrived. The rise of Bismarck had long ago ended any true hope that there was of liberalising Prussia, and she recognised that the methods the Chancellor had used meant that this was a time for worry, not delight. She wrote to him, quote, Our political judgment, our interest in social progress, and in the progressive development of our own country has diminished because of the war. I fear an era of reaction will ensue. I can already see its dark shadows hovering over us. Prussia had not become Germany. It was not consumed by a greater pan-national entity. Instead, Prussia had united Germany and moulded it in its own image. Germany had become Prussian, and that had been the very thing that Vicky had always feared, and that had now come to pass.
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 